0: and of the the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Amen. Thanks, Jez. If you keep your Bibles open at that passage, we'll be having a look at it um, together this morning. It has been said, and you may have heard, that there is a, an unholy trinity of conversation topics that you really should avoid when you're dealing with people face-to-face, face, especially in polite company, as of course we do here in West London. And those three topics that we should avoid are sex, politics, and religion. Sex is an unseemly topic, surely, to be talking about with people in polite conversation. Politics, perhaps quite divisive, and religion, well, that's a private matter, surely not to be talked about. I'm sure you'll be glad to hear that I'm not going to be talking about sex this morning. There's a sigh of relief going around, or perhaps disappointment from some, I don't know. Um, I think we're hearing plenty about politics at the moment, especially here with the mayoral elections and the referendum, soon to come up. But what about religion? Have you ever heard or read or even perhaps said a phrase along the lines of, well, I'm really happy for you that you've got a faith and you believe something, and that's great. But that's as far as it goes. You know, that's great for you, not for me. Keep it to yourself. Thank you very much. Not something to be discussed in polite company, something to be kept private. The late American comedian and atheist, as it turns out, George Carlin, uh, used to say as part of his routine that he had an 11th commandment, and that 11th commandment was, Thou shalt keep thy religion to thyself. And I think that's a sentiment that often comes through in today's culture, in today's media as well. It's okay for you, it's fine what you believe, But keep it to yourself. Faith is a very private matter. I think most people would accept that it's okay for a a vicar to stand up here in church on a Sunday, or maybe the curate, or even a great pretender like myself, and talk about things of religion, things of faith, God, maybe even Jesus. But what about the rest of us? What about the rest of the week, Monday to Saturday, across the garden fence, in the streets? In the school playground, down the pub, over dinner, maybe even at work, is that the place to talk about things of faith? I think that things to do with our faith are highly personal. By very nature, they are highly personal. However, I think our passage today suggests that we don't have the option of them being private. I believe that many aspects are very personal to us, but I don't think we have the option of making it private. Let's have a look at these four verses just tucked away at the end of Matthew's 28 chapter account of Jesus' life. You know, sometimes things that are tucked away at the end are very, very easily missed, but often they're most important things. I don't know if you still listen to the radio at all. Occasionally in the car, I might do that. And if you listen to a commercial station, you might hear a radio advert that seem to come along every uh, five or ten minutes or so. And you might hear an advert along the lines of um, something like this. Would you like to go on holiday somewhere nice, but you can't afford it? Do you need a new fridge freezer or a TV, but you haven't got the cash? Well, then just come to us. Cash on demand. We're the company that likes to say yes We'll provide you with the money that you need instantly into your bank account. No credit checks, one simple phone call, and all your worries will be over. And terms and conditions apply, APR 4,500%. If you don't repay your money, we'll send the boys around and repossess your house. There's that bit that's tagged on the end sometimes of adverts, and if you're not careful, you miss it, and it might well be the most important part that you need to hear. I'm not suggesting that Matthew in his gospel has tagged on something at the end here that uh, he's ashamed about and he wants us to um, ignore, but I think we've got something at the end here that actually has changed the course of history and is really worth taking into account. Up until this point, we've just had the resurrection of Jesus, just died, risen again, conquered death. And from the last couple of um, weeks, Richard has taken us through accounts in the other Gospels where Jesus has appeared to people on the road to Emmaus and appeared to the disciples um, in the locked room as well. But now we've got the stage where Jesus takes his disciples, the 11 of them, in verse uh, 16 there. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. We've only got 11 here because Judas has already taken his own life in remorse for the fact that he betrayed Jesus. And they've gone to Galilee. Jesus already told them earlier in the chapter and earlier in the book, go ahead and I'll meet you in Galilee. It was a significant place. It was a place of Jesus' home, essentially. It was where his upbringing was. It was where he spent much of his time in his ministry as he told people about God's good news. Many of the disciples were from that area as well. It was their hometown. They were going home, essentially, But it was not only that, it was a place which was non-Jewish in nature. Earlier in the book, it's even actually called Galilee of the Gentiles. It was a place that wasn't used to thinking about receiving God's love for themselves. And this was a place where Jesus now tells his disciples to go out into the whole world. This is not just God's good news for the Jewish nation anymore. This is for everyone, for all mankind. And in verse 17... And 18, they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. They worshipped him, which was the right and proper thing for them to do. There's a great passage, we won't look at it now, but in Philippians chapter 2, it talks about Christ's humility going to the cross for us and the fact that he now has, through conquering sin, the authority to be worshipped. However, some doubted, or actually the word, the original word in Greek, maybe hesitated is perhaps a, a better translation of this word here. I think it's another an example of this account kind of ringing true. Richard's been talking about in the last couple of weeks, about actually if you were going to write a lot of the accounts here of Jesus' life, especially at the end, you wouldn't necessarily write them in the way they were here. The resurrection, for instance, surely you would have Jesus. Bursting out of the tomb, rocks flying everywhere in a great um, shining light, as opposed to a woman being the first person to witness his resurrection. And in those days, women were not seen as credible witnesses, wouldn't be allowed to stand in the court of law. Why have a woman be the first witness to Jesus' resurrection? Why would you write that? And I think this is another example of it, an account ringing true. Matthew didn't have to put this bit in about, well, some doubted, some hesitated. Could have left it very nice, but he does. And we're not sure perhaps what it refers to. Was it the 11 or were there others with them as well that perhaps hadn't already seen the risen Jesus and they they weren't quite sure whether that was him or not? Were the disciples still perhaps falling back on their Jewish teachings of of only worshipping the great Yahweh, the great God of Israel? We don't know, but what we do know is that Jesus' resurrection didn't immediately transform these people of little faith into spiritual giants. It was going to take something else, and in a couple of weeks' time, we'll be looking at Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit in power, that really empowers these disciples to spread the good news. And in verse 19, the crux. Of the passage, Jesus says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Therefore, go and make disciples. You notice he doesn't say, Go and live in a nice way, go and be kind, go and do some good works. Help your granny across the street, if you will. These are all things that are perhaps outpourings of becoming disciples of Jesus, but they're not the commission in itself. Jesus says, go and make disciples, make followers of Jesus, somebody who's going to trust in what his teaching is, of what he comes to share about the good news of God, and passing it on to others. And you can't make disciples without communicating you can't make disciples without telling other people. And I think this is where we see that Jesus never intended our faith to be a private affair. He doesn't go and say, go and just keep your faith to yourself. Because it's very nice for you, but you know, just keep it in here. Don't worry about telling anyone else. He says, go and tell others. Go and make disciples. So let's look just three aspects of our Christian faith and see how they relate to this um, thought that some things are personal but they're not necessarily private to us. And the first of those is prayer. Prayer is a very personal thing. Jesus talks earlier in Matthew's Gospel about going into um, your own room and shutting the door behind you so that it's just you and your Father in heaven hearing each other, not standing in the courtyards and in the temples making a big deal of it. In that instance, he's perhaps talking a bit more about our attitude to prayer as much as anything else. But prayer can be a very personal thing, it's communicating with our Father in heaven, it's building a relationship. In the same way that we build relationships here on earth, whether it be with our partners, or our children, or our friends, or our neighbours, or whoever it is, we need to communicate, we need to talk to people, we need to learn about them, what makes them tick, and in turn share things with them too. And that's exactly, in some ways, what prayer is all about. Spending time with God, telling him about ourselves, learning from him as we pray, and as we read the Bible together, hearing his voice speaking to us, building a relationship with him and coming close to him. And Jesus knew what it was to go and pray by himself in a very personal way. Mark's Gospel, it talks about that early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus would go off into a solitary place and pray. So he knew what it was to establish a prayer life, a personal one, to make sure he spent time with his father in heaven. And that's one of the most difficult things I think most Christians would say is establishing a regular and a helpful prayer life. So often the busyness of life can crowd in upon us and it's one of the things that can be very difficult to do even though it's one of the most important things. Martin Luther, the great theologian and reformer, once wrote, Work, work, work from morning until late at night. In fact, I have so much to do that I must spend the first three hours of my day in prayer. He realised that even in the busyness of his life, hundreds of years ago, that the thing that he needed to focus on was his relationship with God, his personal relationship with God in prayer. However, although it's a personal thing, I don't think prayer is necessarily private in nature because there are lots of other examples that we see in the Bible, in the epistles following on from the Gospels of people praying together, praying in community, and praying for different things. We get a great story in um, Acts chapter 12. We have Peter, the apostle, in prison. Imprisoned for his faith there. And the church are gathered to pray for him. In those days, it would have been a church meeting in, in somebody's house. And we're told that the church is praying for him there. Then by God's miraculous intervention, Peter is released from prison and he makes his way to the church. He makes his way to the door and knocks on the door. And you get one of the comedy moments of the New Testament, I think, here when the servant girl comes to the door where Peter's knocking. hears his voice on the other side, but gets so excited that it's Peter that she forgets to actually open the door and disappears back inside, at which point the rest of the people in the church think that she's crazy, and don't believe that it's Peter at the door, and they end up having a big argument about whether it should be, and all this time we're told Peter's still standing there knocking at the door, excuse me, you've been praying for me, let me in. It's funny, I think it is anyway. Um, but the church is there together, praying, encouraging one another, and having a common aim, and there's a lot of instances in the book of Acts and in the rest of the New Testament about church meeting together, people meeting together to pray as well as doing it individually. So what is it that's what's powerful about prayer together? What is it that's important about it? I think corporate prayer or praying together can really open up our hearts to the needs of others. It opens us up to a wider world apart from ourselves. It can really bring encouragement and joy and a feeling of love amongst people that are like-minded as we're all seeking to submit to the will of God together, the body of Christ working together. There's a chap called Charles Finney who many have called the father of the modern revivalism in the United States in the 1800s, and he said this, nothing tends to cement the hearts of Christians more than praying together. Never do they love one another so well as when they witness the outpouring of each other's hearts in prayer. And we get that opportunity here at All Souls. If you're at the um, church meeting on Thursday night, we had a time when we were able to pray together as a community, as a church together to thank God for the things that he's been doing in this last year and for some of the um, individuals that, we've, that you can read about in the booklet and about how God's been working in their lives. So something really powerful and encouraging and joyful about being able to share prayer together there. And we have prayer space at the front of church, nothing magical there but just a A quieter space away, whereas the opportunity to just pray with friends or with with Richard or Jez or anybody about things that are on your hearts, things that you want to share. And praying together can be a really powerful way of of communicating, being together, sharing our needs. So that's prayer, personal by nature, but not necessarily private. And the second area is our church, in ourselves, all souls in all its glory, as we see there. We know the church, as we talk about it, is not necessarily the building, but it's the people within. But it can be a very personal experience as we come to church. It's a place where hopefully we come anticipating to meet God in some way, shape or form, maybe in the quietness. We don't get a lot of quiet here at All Souls, but there is sometimes. Meeting God in the quietness, listening to his word being spoken and being explained to us. Maybe through our sung worship, through songs, able to worship and to really experience that closeness with God. Maybe as we take communion, as we receive the bread and the wine, we realize the personal nature of Christ's sacrifice for us as an individual on the cross and what that represents. It's a very personal thing, but it's not necessarily private. The church is not an exclusive club. It's often been said that the church is one of the few organisations that exists for the benefit of its non-members. We're not there as some holy huddle that just come in and say, thank you very much. We're there to share God's love with the wider world as well. Our worship as we, as we sing, one of the reasons we use songs um, as we worship is it's cause something that we can all do together that it's not necessarily individuals, but it's something that we can join in with together. And we sing different types of songs. Some are very personal. So we'll sing songs that might say things like, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's very personal to us as individuals. But then we also sing songs that remind us that we're the body of Christ together. We're a family. We, We stand and lift up our hands. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And when we come to communion, although it's a very personal experience as we recognize what it means to us as individuals, we also come as one body together. We say the words before we receive communion, as Richard says the words, We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. We all respond. We do respond. Good Anglicans to a man and a woman out there. Though we are many, we are one body because we all share in this one bread. Don't worry if you didn't know that, that's fine. I'm a non-Anglican by upbringing as well, so that's fine. It's all new to me too. And that's not not just made up words as well, just to, to let you know. That's straight from the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Fantastic verse. Because there's one loaf, one loaf of bread, we who are many are one body because we all share in one loaf together. Communion, although a very personal, intimate experience, is also a family experience. It's not a private experience. That's why we come up together and receive communion together at the rail. We kneel together. We're one family together, recognising what Christ has done, not just for us as individuals, but for all peoples of all times. And the church is here to support each other as well in practical ways, maybe for those that need support at one time, maybe, I don't know, have needs for meals or perhaps a lift to appointments or lifts to church. And we look out into our wider community as well and we provide food for a a local food bank or we um, um, help with English language classes for those where English isn't their first language to help them to be able to integrate into the community and get more out of life by learning English or perhaps our um, care and toddler group on a Wednesday providing a safe and a fun environment for people to come into the church building together. We're a church where it's very personal but it's certainly not private. And finally, the crux of the matter and what Jesus gets to in this passage here, our own faith, what we believe. This is the thing that often we're told perhaps should be the private thing. This is the thing that you keep to yourself, your own personal beliefs. And indeed, our beliefs are very personal. Our own response to the Gospel, what Jesus says in the Bible, what God says in the Bible, requires a personal response. We need to acknowledge where we stand before God, that we're people that fall short of his glory. We have sin in our lives, which essentially means we often put ourselves before God. Richard often explains it, sin, as that very small word, but with a big I in the middle, us, before God. We need to respond in repentance, an acknowledgement of where we stand and a turning around and a decision to follow Christ and put our faith in him. And no one can make that decision for us. It's a personal one. Richard can't make that decision for us. Our parents, our friends... And coming to church doesn't make that decision for us either. It's something that we need to have a personal response to and a personal relationship. And growing in our faith is ultimately personal as well. Making a decision to follow Christ is one thing, but then to become a disciple, to actually grow in our faith, to learn more about God and what his love means to us. And that's why we do um, courses here, because this is not necessarily a personal, private thing. We can encourage one another and we can grow together. So we've got things like an alpha course where you're able to come along and be on any stage of a faith journey or not on it at all just to ask whatever ridiculous questions you could think of or other life groups which help us to grow in our faith and our understanding of what God is and what he's done for us. But we also have the what is sometimes called the great commission here that Jesus is uh, saying to his disciples, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It's good news to share. If you were around a year or so ago, we had a series when we talked about the good news, the glad tidings, called the euangelion in the original words, glad tidings of Christ's salvation for us, something that was worth sharing. And after Jesus says this to the disciples here, what happens? The next... 250 years, they go from a small, tiny band of his disciples there to probably, in the next 250 years, maybe 5 million-plus followers of Christ, Christians in a world that at that time is dominated by paganism and persecution. And we hear the same words today that the disciples heard then, go and make disciples. And for some people here, They've heard those words and have been doing it for many, many years and being faithful to Christ's command here. Not that we ram it down people's throats. We don't want to be that sort of person. Uh-oh, there they come. There's the Bible basher. They're going to be talking to me about God. I think I'm just going to take a right turn. It's about being sensitive to people and just sharing what we've found to be true in our lives, the love of Christ and the difference that it can make to us. And it's as simple sometimes as maybe inviting someone along to church. Hey, I found a place that's hopefully welcoming and friendly. Somewhere where it's really helping me to think about things of faith. Why don't you come along? Or to an alpha group. Or just to talk with somebody about your own faith in a very simple way and how it impacts you regardless of where you are on that journey and how fully formed it might be. So Jesus' words, go and make disciples. I don't think they give us the option to take something which is very personal, which is our faith, but to keep it private. It is something to be shared. Let's just spend a moment of quiet. And uh, Jez is going to lead us in a song or two before the children come back to join us. Let's just ask God to remind us and to speak of some of the things we've heard this morning. Maybe it's just to hear about prayer. To pray that uh, God will help us in our own personal prayer lives as we seek to grow at whatever stage we are in our faith journey, to grow in our relationship with God, to be able to make time and to learn how to pray but also have the, the courage to be able to pray together with others to encourage others and to share our love as God's family. Maybe in our church lives that we would seek as we come in to be able to meet with God in a real personal way through our prayer, our worship, through communion, but also To continue being part of God's family. And to support one another in whatever ways we can. And in our own faith lives. Maybe it's that you need to make a decision about what it is that you believe about following Christ. And also that we'd hear those words afresh. Go and make disciples through our words and through our actions in our lives that we'd share that good news of Jesus with others.